on this episode of the Triple Double Podcast, we discuss our final takeaways from the last dance, give our final rating, and welcome Jorge Hernandez onto the show to get his thoughts on the documentary. Catch the Triple Double Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. You can also email us at tripledoublepodcasts at gmail.com and find us on Facebook at Triple Double Podcasts. Enjoy the show. We are back on this lovely Sunday afternoon uh, with myself, Justin Goodrum, and my co-host, Matt Thomas. What's up, man? How's it going? Hey, man. It's going great. Happy Memorial Day. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, before we kind of hop into things, some just some sad news just to touch on the top. Uh, just a couple of days ago, um, really, I think, a legend in the um, – halls of basketball coaching um jerry sloan um longtime utah jazz coach um, passed away on friday at the age of 78 um due to um, complications from parkinson's parkinson's disease um that was um announced by the utah jazz um he's basically a utah jazz legend i'm almost positive that they'll um have really such a extensive um service honoring him and also really plays into the documentary because he was a Chicago Bulls legend, has his jersey retired, and of course, um, coach against the Chicago Bulls in those um, legendary NBA finals. Um, before we move on, do you have any kind of memories of Jerry Sloan? Oh, just a hugely influential coach. I mean, even into the 2000s, still staying on that Utah Jazz team. I mean, you talk about continuity. That's that's almost unheard of in the NBA these days, as far as coaching records go. And certainly, I mean, one, one of the greats in coaching history. Uh, so rest in peace, certainly our condolences to, to his family and, and everyone affected by his death. For sure. So um, let's hop into it and break down kind of our post-mortem of the last dance. We pretty much, we recapped every single episode, given our opinions, but I think it's now it's time to give our final rating and provide our three takeaways from what we saw from this documentary. Originally, while we, me and you were kind of talking about reviving the podcast and doing this again, I think we only thought that this, this documentary would take place after the NBA finals and it would be a point of discussion for, you know, a couple of weeks after and life would move on. But this is taking a cultural phenomenon just due to the coronavirus um, and, and taking on to a life of its own. So I guess the, these three takeaways are pretty more significant than under normal circumstances. So um, I want to kind of I think we can go back and forth with just our takeaways. And um, mm-hmm. I will let you go first, my friend. And um let you, I'm curious to see what you have to say regarding your one of your biggest takeaways from the documentary. Okay, so this one is obvious on face value, but I kind of want to give some context. So I think the first thing that everyone can agree on in one sense is Michael Jordan as the basketball idol, as the greatest of all time in, I believe, the majority of people's eyes. Uh, And I think what this documentary and the reaction to the documentary, which I want to get into, has shown is that Jordan is still firmly considered kind of the majority winner of greatest of all time NBA player. I think maybe in Jordan's mind, it's curious that he released this documentary or he I'm sorry, he released the video content that was locked away forever for that last season. He released that the day after LeBron had that epic defeat of the Golden State Warriors. 
So it is interesting, the gamesmanship involved there. But I, wanna, I wanted to talk about this specifically. And it's, it's an interview that I listened to with Bill Simmons and Chuck Klosterman. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck Klosterman. He's, he's a writer. He's a very, very interesting mind, always comes up with interesting things to talk about and kind of really does a good job of playing devil's advocate to Bill Simmons. And he, so I think, and I'm not doing this to get in a, a big greatest of all time discussion, because I think, I think that is largely undetermined um, and, and can be a silly argument in many ways. I know you feel the same way in some regard, uh, but Chuck Klosterman, when trying to push Bill Simmons off the idea that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, he starts breaking down things and he's making the argument that basketball and athletics in general, they get better as the science, nutrition and genetics maybe get better genetic factors. So he's arguing that LeBron is because LeBron is has been kind of the greatest player of the 2010s, and that is arguably the greatest era of basketball, at least basketball talent that we've seen, he tells Bill Simmons, he says, okay, let's talk about skills. Who is better at passing, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And Bill Simmons' response is, I think, what I found most telling. Bill Simmons who, of course, we know wrote the book of basketball, a very knowledgeable basketball personality. He's kind of more of a personality nowadays than, than a writer or journalist, I would say. But his response, who's better at passing, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Now, if you ask me that, I would say LeBron James is a better passer than Michael Jordan. I would, I would answer that. Of course, that is, that is always going to be a subjective question as this argument of greatest of all time. But anyway... Sorry for digressing. <laughs> Bill Simmons' answer, who's the better passer, Jordan or LeBron? His answer is, well, Jordan was an underrated passer. <laughs> so I think that is right. very telling <laughs> because is. Th this is someone who lived through the Jordan era and before that lived through 80s basketball. And so my opinion and my takeaway from this is that I believe our generation and older you're not going to shake from the general idea that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And I think that's my long winded way of saying that this documentary drew out that reaction that, that kind of proves my idea there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel you Matt a hundred percent and this was proven by the ESPN poll on Twitter of Michael Jordan versus LeBron on various um, skill sets. And to your point about the passing, Jordan won dominantly in terms of, you know, who was the better passer. It was Michael Jordan, which is ins insane. That's insane. You're talking wow. from a first card <laughs> carrier of the Michael Jordan fan club. Like, you know where I stand um, mm -hmm. in terms of what's going on. Um, and I'm reading it here. Um, trying to find it because I just pulled it up right now. Better passer, it was it's fifty nine percent to forty one percent. Michael, wow, fans, that's insane. That is in that's asinine to me. I mean, <laughs> that that and he, again, I mean, you want to talk about who's the greatest? It's Michael Jordan, hands down. There's no argument. But better passer, that's unfathomable. Like, how how can you say that? And and also with the logic of Bill Simmons saying he's an underrated passer, it doesn't mean he it makes him better. 
He's underrated. Correct. That, that make, doesn't make any sense. So I think you're absolutely right. And and you're right in terms of the rose-colored glasses, just because Jordan, I don't know, I can't explain his feeling of watching him on TV. And he really, the only other athlete to do this was Tiger, was Tiger Woods. And, and you know when you watch them that they were going to win. Like, and in big situations in terms of big, big situations where you knew that the Bulls were – they're losing or they're facing a tough opponent. Jordan would figure out a way. And we're not talking about just like a regular season game or even when he came back from um, when he came back from, from baseball because I think everybody recognized how exhausted and how tired he was. We're talking about like 100% prime Jordan. You knew he uh-huh. wasn't going to lose. Like it was scary. Like you knew he was going to hit the shot or make the right decision. It was frightening. And when he didn't do it, it was almost as a shock. Whereas with now the players, even with LeBron, it's almost you're you don't judge him in that kind of way. And I think that's a big, big um, feather in Jordan's cap. So you're right. I, I agree with you. Um, and I think for players that really love Kobe and really love LeBron, it's going to take old fossils like us to just, you know, be in their 90s and not really care about basketball anymore um, to really have the overall opinion that LeBron is the greatest of all time, because I think. Like you, like you said, Matt, like we're relatively, we're in our 30s now. So um, until the next generation of kind of those 20-year-olds that grew up with Kobe and LeBron really take over the brunt of controlling the sports narrative, Jordan is going to be the GOAT for a while. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have anything to add to what you just added. I, I think, um, what, what was your first takeaway from this documentary? So... My first takeaway originally was the honesty of Michael Jordan. And then I mm. talked to my dad. Um, so mm. my dad watched this and he was up to episode eight. And I'll, I'll just tell you, in terms of being kind of a sports fan in my household, he was a sports fan, but not as much as myself. I was a very much fanatical about it and watched a lot of these games by myself. Um, my dad would be in the other room and he would watch him too with my mom, but I would just, I would be acting like a maniac. So I would just, I would kind of need my own space. <laughs> um, but I think overall, what he, he was talking to me about this documentary is that he brought up that his family was mentioned very little in this documentary, except the, I think final episode or final two episodes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that stood out to me because here we are in his documentary it's not about the final season, not just about the final season of the Chicago Bulls championship season. We know about Jordan's family history. We hear about his dad. We hear about how important his mom is and about how, you know, older black men in particular are important in Michael Jordan's life. And we hear very little about his kids and not even in a positive, not even like in a positive like manner at all. Like it was very, very noticeable, and I think it's one of the negatives of this documentary that we didn't hear from his kids more because they're in the documentary. They were clearly interviewed. I don't understand why we didn't hear more from them compared to when he first got his Nike contract. Like, I feel like that's if you were to pick, okay, Nike contract, okay, about his kids. I want to hear about his kids. We 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 know about the story of Nike. He's iconic. He created the Jordan brand. We know that story and if you want to check it out watch watch plenty of other documentaries about it but his kids we don't really know too much about it from a you know 
common perspectives. So that was very apparent to me when he said that he, he was 1000% right because his kids have been doing interviews, you know, talking about their dad very lovingly. And to me, I would just love just to hear from his kids from a positive standpoint, not even from a negative standpoint, not even with him and his divorces. I think that would have been, you know, I think a strength to the documentary, but even from a positive standpoint of them just, you know, loving their dad and just, you know, worshiping the ground he walked on of that they felt that way. Um, I think would have been really, really to the, I think the help of this documentary, making Jordan more relatable to a, a common person, and just to hear his kids only mentioned very matter of factly um, within you know the final episodes. I, I think is a glaring, glaring um, mistake of this documentary. Am I overreacting here? I don't think so, and, and I think to your point. I mean, if I don't know that it would have been amicable. I know that. There was, from what I hear, I mean, obviously I don't personally know, but likely a messy divorce, as divorce divorces tend to be. Uh, but, I mean, you think not having Juanita Jordan in this at all, sure. his, his first wife going through his, his rise with him, I, I, that does seem like a, a glaring omission in, in a lot of ways. And you wonder if it's just, I mean, my assumption would be not knowing anything about the the actual like making of this documentary. I mean, my assumption would be that Jordan assumed that this tarnishes the brand to maybe talk about like kids talking about it being rough to have a father in the NBA in a lot of ways because all the travel and the grueling school. Uh, and you know, let's let's just be honest. There was there was a messy divorce there that happens from high profile figures, you know, not, not just athletes, but celebrities all the time, things of that nature. So maybe it was just seen as too much of a negative to Jordan's legacy to, to include it in this documentary that there really is, is building up Michael Jordan. Yeah. I don't, even if you don't even touch on the, on a divorce, just mention he's got like three kids and how, you know, growing up with him being this icon, like it would have been interesting because I haven't heard too many interviews. Like, I the most I heard was um, the interviews. It was I think it was on either the Today Show or Good Morning America, um, and that's what I heard about. You know, how was it being in a household with Michael Jordan as your dad, and you know what was the pressures of you, you know, growing up with those expectations. And we didn't really hear any of that. And I think just from a positive standpoint, I don't even think you have to get into the divorce again. I, I would have just appreciated that just from a knowledgeable standpoint, but just to not hear anything. Like, you know, just accept those minor points, um, which is jarring to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to add there. I think (laughs) you're spot on. Um, what was your second takeaway? So my second tech takeaway, this one is definitely going to be a little more controversial than, than my first one that we agreed on. But I think overall, one of the things that this documentary did and Horace Grant would disagree with me. We can talk about this later, but sure. I, in my eyes, I think this documentary really, really not only built up Jordan, but I think it also built up Scottie Pippen. And I think we had, certainly there was, Horace Grant called it kind of a cheap shot to talk about Scottie Pippen sitting for that last 1.8 seconds when Jordan wasn't even on the team. But I think Scottie Pippen being 
his story being retold and him being a sympathetic character to the audience. You have that discussion of, of his contract and how underpaid he was relative to his actual on the court value and on the team value. And then you have it, I mean, multiple times people just talking about how Scottie Pippen is the second best player in the NBA behind Michael Jordan, and he's on this ridiculous contract. Now, one of those people was Phil Jackson saying that. So, of course, part of that is, is coach bias, talking up your own player. Uh, but I do think showing that beginning portion and, and talking about Pippen's contract and leading up to the relationship with Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf, but then also showing Scottie Pippen dealing with that back injury, fighting to get back on the court in the 98 Jazz. It, it both serves Jordan for one thing because it makes it look like Jordan is working all, all the much harder at the end there, which he was, which he was. That's, that's fact. Sure. But then I think it also, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, for me anyway, I felt like it it showed Scottie Pippen a lot of love and showed the fierceness of a competitor that that Scottie Pippen was. What were your thoughts on that? I feel you. Um, it was weird because from some of the analysis I saw, it some of it came off like it was negative towards Scottie, and even Scottie said he was kind of negatively portrayed, which I thought was weird. I think this documentary gives Scotty plenty of credit, um, even though he, he made some huge, massive mistakes. But overall, I would consider how Scotty was portrayed a heck of a lot more positively than a lot of, you know, kind of second banana players, not only in basketball, but in, in other forms of sports. I think Scotty got a great representation throughout this documentary and how he was portrayed, um, especially through his back problems. Um, through kind of his the latter half of his run with the Bulls, um, so I I feel you. I think this was a probably the second player to benefit the most is Scotty, um, the because I don't think people understand how good Scotty was and what he how was he in relation to Michael, um, because we kind of see especially players now where the dynamic is a lot different in the NBA. Where back then it was, you know, a lot more likely to have kind of a kind of co-star. I think it's coming back, you know, having that one-two punch. But um, I think for a long time it's kind of like, okay, you're in threes or you're alone. And I think with Michael and Scotty, it was kind of that again a hallmark of the '90s that I think is coming back now. That you know, Scotty was a very very integral part of that documentary. I mean. We could play the game of, you know, oh, well, if, you know, Scotty didn't win anything with Michael, but Michael didn't win anything with Scotty either. Like, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scotty was very, very integral and very, very important. I mean, even I even saw um, there's a YouTube video just, you know, detailing the beef between, you know, Barkley and Scotty. And when Scotty went to the Rockets and how, you know, Barkley, you know, and him didn't get along and how Barkley had to get into shape and how, you know, Barkley was late to some of the training camps. And, you know, that really rubbed Scotty the wrong way and how, you know, I think he learned how to be a professional with Jordan. Like you're just you're inbreded with that mentality of wedding. And I think Jordan taught that to him. So I agree with you. I know I'm kind of digressing here, but just just the long winded form of saying I 100 percent agree with you. So let me ask you this. True or sure. false, Scottie Pippen is the second best basketball player of the 90s behind Jordan. Oh, that is a tough question. 
Jeez. Um, because remember in the 90s, you, mean you had to take into consideration Shaq. Um, I think Hakeem, Karl Malone. Um, I would say false. I agree. Um, I would say probably in terms of being a kind of person as a dynamic to their other co-star or other teammates, I would say he's probably the most valuable. But in terms of like the second pure best, I would say that's false. Yeah, Um, I agree. And I think the fact that you thought about that, which granted you're a major Bulls fan, so so you have a strong love of Scottie Pippen. Sure. um, But I think that also shows that the documentary didn't do anything to to hurt Scottie Pippen's pedigree in your mind. No, it did. It, it, I think it raised it, in fact. Um, so hit me with your second takeaway. Yeah, um, I won't talk about this too much because I think I brought it up previously on the other podcast, but the honesty of Michael was the cornerstone of this documentary, and I'll mention it in my final rating. Um, we saw Michael just be a human being in this documentary. Saw him drink tequila, smoke cigars, talk about his um, first teammates when he first got with the Bulls being on cocaine, um, talked about him being a jerk. We, we saw him be just human. And especially when his career was over, it was refreshing. It was appreciated. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And to me, it made him more relatable to not only myself, but to, I think, competitors that are driven to win. I think there's a lot of, you know, a part of society that their driving force to being successful is that winning attitude. I think people misconstrue that or if they become the bad guy as to why they feel that way. But with Jordan's honest thoughts, I think this is kind of like their defense of why they're that way with their coworkers or with their pickup basketball team or whatever. Um, This is the method to their madness. This is why. Um, And I think Jordan really, really demonstrated a great case because it's something I can't relate to because I'm not a relentless competitor, but I, I respect it and I understand his perspective and to see how that, how he was driven through um, his years with the bulls made me um, respect him a lot more, even though I disagree with a lot of his methods. It's methods that I wouldn't use and I wouldn't have to motivate a team, but his teammates respected him and they knew there was a method to his madness. And in that way, I respect him for doing it. That makes any sense. So I think his overall honesty, I think I was truly impressed with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I don't have too much to add to what you just said there. I I feel the same way. Um, I'd also add just as kind of a funny side note. I mean, the, the slew of great Jordan memes that we got from his honest interviews, (laughs) (laughs) like the, uh, the laughter at the Gary Payton comment that maybe if he was guarding Michael Jordan, uh, I mean, (laughs) just tons of content on maybe unintentional humor that we got from this documentary. You're right. For sure. Um, what was your, um, takeaway? All right. So my, my third and final takeaway, I wanted to pick something to, talk about the NBA at large and maybe relate it into the modern era. And there's, there's a great YouTube um, video. I've, I apologize. I can't remember the username off the top of my head, but if you look for it, like NBA rule changes since the nineties, there's a lot that has changed in the game since, <laughs> since the nineties, obviously. Uh, 
And I think one thing that we need to bring back that's just watching these close games and these lower scoring games, and I'm not saying 90s basketball is entirely better to watch, but I do think one of the things you and I were texting about, and maybe we brought on, talked about in a previous episode, is it does seem more exciting to me when games are within 10 points. And I think that's, I think most people would agree, like, especially in the fourth quarter, like, you're not really staying tuned into a Warriors game when they're up by 30 plus against their opponent in the fourth quarter. I mean, that game's over. You're, you're not going to really hang around and watch role players finish it out for the most part. Uh, I mean, unless you are truly diehard. Um, so, so my third takeaway, they, so they've, they've added things like quicker technical fouls when players start talking to each other. I think that can be fine if it's used responsibly to control the tone of the game. And a lot of that change is due to malice at the palace. They added in uh, the flagrant foul that was during Jordan's time uh, so that teams couldn't basically be the Pistons and, and use those fouls for making as, as hard and physical fouls as they wanted to do. So they kind of added in there has to be a rhyme or reason to the foul. You have to be going after the ball. Most people listening probably know that. Um, so what I think they should bring back, though, that they took away is the hand check rule. I think that would do a lot of good for the sport as it is right now, because we see that it's it's basically all offense right now. We do get spurts of defense, spurts of physical play during the playoffs, thankfully. And so I do think the sport still looks good to the casual fan tuning in for the playoffs. But I think hand check rule should be allowed throughout the year. It shouldn't be this this unsaid thing where during the playoffs, all of a sudden our standards change and we get more physical and you can do, you can keep flagrant fouls, you can keep technical fouls, but I think allow these players to touch each other a little bit more when they're defending another player. Allow them to stay closer. We've already got guys flying through screens. Players are going to get open due to the great schematics that, that coaches develop nowadays. I mean, like, you, you can't tell me that just because hand check would be allowed again that guys like Steve Kerr, guys like Eric Spolstra, um, wouldn't be able to develop schemes to still get Steph Curry open. So I think one of my big takeaways is to help with the game today, which I love, which I think is better overall than nineties basketball would be bring back the hand check rule. No, I agree. If you have a more physicality, I just, I don't have too much to add, but you're right. Cause I, just, I feel like a lot of the physical play is missing. There's um, a lot of the aggressiveness and mm-hmm. I think that takes away some of the skills. So I feel you, man. Um, totally. And bring back the usefulness of big men because it, it used to be <laughs> that, you know, when the NBA was going through kind of its golden age or, or building back up in the 80s, it was like the the big man on your team is kind of like the face of your franchise or at least if it's nothing true. else seen as like the anchor of your defense. And nowadays, you know, teams can can do like big man by committee. We see on a lot of teams, like even on arguably the greatest team ever, that Golden State Warriors team, you know, where they had Zaza Pachulia at center, along with a, a whole other cast of guys, JaVale McGee, et cetera. You know, you're seeing nowadays the center is kind of this throwaway position on on a lot of teams, not not the entire NBA, but I think it's it's kind of really... I, the balance has been has been thrown off. So maybe 
hand check is a way you could slow guys down a little bit and have that that rim protector be more effective. I don't know. Well, the floor um, is spread. I think that's that's just a huge you know issue. And I think also it's just a perception of the game, right? I think a lot of big guys want to shoot the three. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Really, that's part of it too. Yeah. So like kind of banging down in there is you don't have really too many examples of this, that idol that's just, you know, you know, clanging and banging in, in the post. I mean, even somebody like Giannis, um, he kind of does multiple things. I mean, as a big man, you're kind of like a jack of all trades um, because of your physical size. But I feel you, man, totally. Yeah, and I think the versatility is great. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind if we get a league where most of your centers are looking like Giannis. I mean, imagine how fast and uh, exciting that type of a game would be. But then you're also going to get Giannis's athleticism on defense. So so I think that things kind of kind of balance out with something like that. Um, yeah. So anyway, enough time on that. What What is your final takeaway on this on Last Dance? Uh, my final takeaway, and then we'll get into kind of the. I know you had a point about Horace Grant. Um, I won't spend too much, but I think it's the power of sports documentaries. Um, how you can have long form content. Um, I'm kind of a media junkie, so I, I love how we can kind of reflect on the past in depthly and get something out of it that we don't necessarily need to watch a movie. I'll go back to my conversation with my dad. Like he said, wouldn't it be cool to have like a movie with, you know, so-and-so doing this or so-and-so, you know, playing this role. It's like, I don't know if I feel that way. I mean, I already saw the documentary. I looked through it and there's a documentary. I don't know why, why do I need to see a movie? Um, I think for kind of entertainment's sake, but I think the documentary was, was exciting enough. Like it was riveting. There was people that, you know, don't watch sports that, you know, they were calling like the real housewives of the NBA, like the drama, like you didn't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it'd be kind of cool almost to be at the perspective of, you know, a non-sports fan and not knowing what was going to happen in those series just to see how they felt. I, I would love to interview somebody that didn't pay attention through this and didn't know um, if the Bulls are going to beat the Jazz or not. I'd be very curious to see what their reaction would be. That's from their perspective. So overall, I think sports documentaries have made a comeback. We've seen um, just the OJ documentary, the slew of 30 for 30 on ESPN. And I think this really captivated the nation. And despite a pandemic, it proved that sports can be really compelling, even from a historical context. So I would love to see um, just other forms of deep content um, concerning the higher points from sports. I think there's so many ideas, and I think we'll we'll break it down later on. But I think overall, this 10-part docuseries proved that there's a huge hunger for kind of behind-the-scenes, in-depth an analysis, and just interviews from those athletes that were successful um, achieving those goals. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I, I think it's a, it's a perfect storm because it's, it is a pandemic. So you have the eyes on the nation. I mean, the entire nation hungry for content for one thing. And then you have arguably the greatest basketball player of all time releasing content that you've never seen before from arguably the most con um, the most iconic team in NBA history as well. So I, I think that helps it a ton. But I think you're right in that people do care about the history of NBA basketball, specifically, maybe more than we even thought. 
And uh, I, I totally agree. It's, it's great to see sport, a sport documentary do as well as this did. I agree. Um, before we give our final rating, did you want to kind of touch on Horace Grant's contention and beef with this documentary? I know there's been some players, including Scotty, that have not had the most flattering things to say, but it seems like Horace ranks at the top of taking issue with a lot of the points in this documentary. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I saw this alert. I, I get alerts from ESPN. I saw this uh, show up on on my banner alerts, and I kind of rolled my eyes at it and thought, oh, gosh, whatever, you know, and, and I didn't even read it uh, to start. And then I, you know, jokingly in, in our buddies <laughs> group chat, chat, I sent a picture of it and, you know, like Horace better watch out <laughs> criticizing MJ this way, etc. And then this weekend, having a little extra time, I it just kind of stuck with me for whatever reason. And, um, and I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to read this and, and see what I get. And I, I thought it actually was pretty interesting. And so this is from ESPN staff writer, Nick Friedel, who's a pretty well-known NBA columnist, um, has been a beat reporter for the Chicago Bulls, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe the Warriors, maybe among other teams, uh, apologies if, if I got any of that info wrong. Um, so here we go. So one of the things that was brought up in the documentary was that Horace Grant was the quote unquote snitch uh, for Sam Smith for the Jordan rules book. It is admitted by Grant that he is friends with Sam Smith. So I'm just going to quote what Horace Grant says over the course of this article. And there are a few blurbs here that I want to read. So, um, so we'll take a little time here. So quote, and again, this Horace Grant in regards to um, the fact that he potentially leaked much of the information in Sam Smith's book. Quote, lie, lie, lie. If MJ had a grudge with me, let's settle this like men. Let's talk about it, or we can settle it another way. But yet, and still, he goes out and puts this lie out that I was the source behind the book. Sam and I have always been great friends. We're still great friends. But the sanctity of that locker room, I would never put anything personal out there. The mere fact that Sam Smith was an investigative reporter, that he had to have two sources, two to write a book, I guess. Why would MJ just point me out? It's only a grudge, man. I'm telling you, it was only a grudge. And I think he proved that during this so-called documentary, when if you say something about him, he's going to cut you off. He's going to try to destroy your character. Okay, so then they give a little more background interview, or I'm sorry, background info on Horace Grant and his role on the Bulls. Here we go again, quote, Charles Barkley, they've been friends for over 20, 30 years, Grant said. And he said something about Michael's management with the Charlotte Bobcats or the Charlotte Hornets. And then they haven't spoken since then. And my point is, comma, he said that I was a snitch. But yet, and still after 35 years, he brings up his rookie year going into one of his teammates' rooms and seeing coke and weed and women. My point is, why the hell did he want to bring that up? What's that got to do with anything? I mean, if you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a, a bleep snitch right there. <laughs> uh, and so, wow. so we go through, quote, I would say it was entertaining, but we know who was there as teammates, that about 90% of it, I don't know if I can say it on air, but BS in terms of the realness of it. It wasn't real because a lot of things Jordan said that to some of his teammates – 
that his teammates went back at him. But all of that was kind of edited out of the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary, end quote. Uh, He goes on then in the article to talk about a story that Jordan, after a Bulls loss, Jordan had ordered that Horace Grant wouldn't, um, couldn't get his meal on the plane home. And (laughs) Horace Grant says, yeah, a lot of people have made, and this isn't a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing again. He said, a lot of people have made a big deal about this story. What they don't tell you is that I then talked back to Michael Jordan and I made sure I got my meal. Basically, if if Michael Jordan would have stopped that, he, I would have put him in check. I mean, he, he talks about, um, I believe the line is, there would be no six titles. There would be... <laughs> No iconic Michael Jordan had I fought him over this issue because, you know, Horace Grant's a much, much bigger man than, than Michael Jordan in terms of physical size. Um, and then he he basically reiterates. And again, I'm paraphrasing. He just kind of says that Jordan posts all this content on the documentary about him instigating these fights calling people B's and H's, as, as you all saw in the documentary, if you watched it. And the documentary just kind of ends it there and doesn't show the altercations that the players had been following those comments from Michael Jordan. So he basically says, like, Jordan acts like he was beating us all down and he's the big man, whereas when he was, when Grant was on the Bulls, a lot of guys were keeping Jordan in check as well and responding to this. So, I mean, on the one hand, you know, this this is drama. This is, you know, maybe someone who's felt who felt a little bit spurned that Jordan went on to win three more titles without him. Um, but there is a, a comment by Stace, a quote from Stacey King at the end that, you know, one thing I can say about Horace Grant is that he always tells the truth. He's a very, very truthful guy and basically said that if this is what Horace Grant is saying, he believes it. Um, so I don't know for, for me, of course, something like this isn't going to tarnish the, the documentary for me. It's not going to tarnish like certainly six championships that Jordan won and things like this, but I, I don't know. What are your thoughts in hearing that quote or those set of quotes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause they were several to, different interviews. Sure. Not much to add. I mean, come on, Horace got to know that this is the Michael Jordan show and he should know that Jordan has a relatively squeaky clean image i mean there's been you know issues that have come up but for the most part the biggest thing that's tarnished him has been him as an owner michael jordan um as a player it's pretty pretty untouched so in a documentary that jordan had full creative control in, and i'm sure horace grant knew that it's hard to believe why he would expect for himself to be portrayed 100 percent correct right um, it's going to be from right. a perspective that favors Michael. So not much, Dad. This is I'm sure I believe what he says. I don't I don't discount what he's saying. But at the end of the day, if he wants to go in on making a documentary um, portraying the other side, then go ahead. I think it'll be smart, right? Quite honestly, strike with the yeah. iron. Is not. Um, put out a podcast series. I think honestly, it would have been smarter not to say this in a. I might be hating on newspapers here. Um, not to say this in a newspaper, but to go on like Woj or go on, you know, a top NBA podcast and see your grievances is there. Um, yeah. And these were and, on, um, yeah. a series of radio interviews. Oh, I, I oh they say. were. Oh my yeah. bad. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think radio interviews, I think 
I don't know. I, I mean, the, 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 the millennial side may be coming out, but I think, especially with everything going on, a more of a national forum to air your grievances. Even like, I mean, hell, first take. I mean, there Isaiah went on there. Um, and Isaiah got plenty of traction where you think he was right or not. I think first take would have been perfect for him to go on there and just, you know, say what he's got to say. But not much to add. I, I, I don't deny what he's saying is true. And I, and I think there's some bitterness there. Let's keep it real. Yeah. Um, and I think Scotty has said stuff too in the past. But I think overall, um, it's nothing I don't, I don't, um, I would say, think more negatively of Horace. I understand those where he's coming from. But at the end of the day, that documentary is, it's like you said, Matt, it's Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So there's going to be little to no negativity towards MJ. So. Yeah, and if if I can add, I think maybe the the only thing this kind of adds to maybe is, is that there is this, and I don't think this is any surprise to anyone who knows Jordan, but there is this very petty side of Michael Jordan. Of course, and I I think this <laughs> this highlights that a little bit. Again, it's it's not um, it's not something that I think tarnishes the legacy at all. Uh, I mean, it's it's a drop in a in a bucket. As far as that goes, I guess I was mostly surprised about this because I remember Horace being very, very positive towards Michael Jordan throughout the, um, you know, throughout the entire last dance. Uh, You know, he he's very respectful of Jordan when, you know, Nick Anderson comes out and says, I guess, 45 isn't the same as 23. You know, he I remember his sequence being like, oh, Nick, why did you say that? And, and kind right. of the reverence for like you're, you know, you're poking the bear, so to speak. Um, so so I think it's it's surprising to see like a sudden flip after he had just contributed to the last dance. We know how quickly this was put together. So it is a little bit shocking to see that flip, I guess, in in my opinion. Um, but but yeah, it's it's nothing earth shattering i guess no i agree with you um let's get to our final rating and i won't go too much into it um because we just have to get to kind of the coronavirus nba news but um final rating for me it's a b um strengths michael jordan's honesty great soundtrack um the footage that we saw i think was very impactful and very entertaining um negatives i would say lack of family, too much focus on the past, and not enough highlighting of Michael Jordan's rivals, um, very little of them. But overall, to me, giving it a B, I'm not sounding really harsh. I had, again, my, my expectations were insane for this documentary, <laughs> and I don't think it delivered. Um, and, I, and I can say I was disappointed by it, to be completely honest. Um, mm. But I know I'm, I'm in a super minority, for sure. I'm sure everybody loved it. And I would say for sure, it's it's a weird because even though it's disappointing, it's a must-see documentary for anyone. The, the less you know about this Bulls team, the better, I think. But at the same time, I've heard plenty of people that follow this, follow the Bulls extensively, love this documentary. So I'm in a minority, um, but I didn't truly enjoy it as some others. But at the same time, it was, I think, massively creative created um but at the same time and looking again another issue on biasness as well um so there's things you can nitpick and point to at the cows come home but the bottom line is that um i enjoyed it but certainly was a disappointment mm. yeah and uh pun intended here i'm gonna be a little bit more bullish on this than than you are sure. um and i 
I, I would give this an A minus. I think there is a, a critical person missing, just to kind of tease, or depending on when we air this interview, but Jorge mentions in our interview someone who was left out of the documentary that I think is huge. Um, I, I think there are huge lapses. I think the, the common thing that you and I kept hammering in our recaps is, you know, the expectation when you label this the last dance, I want to see more of the team. So that was my expectation that wasn't kind of met. And it was kind of, you know, really like three or four episodes in, it was, okay, this is, this is a victory lap for Michael Jordan is, is sure. what this is. And yes, we are getting a lot of interesting, weird, quirky footage, uh, like Dennis Rodman escaping an arena, like Michael Jordan playing piano, even though he can't play piano in front of his entourage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's just like really weird. And it shows little glimpses at what it was like to be Michael Jordan or what it was like to be around this team or to face them. We get some of the key rivals, but many, many voices are, are missing certainly that we would want to see overall. I think just trying to be as objective as someone who subjectively like this is probably my favorite basketball team of all time is the 96 bulls. Um, I, I mean, I think trying to be as objective as possible. It's, it's a great watch from start to finish. It's a great, the, the way the director pieced it together. Certainly um, I understand your frustration in going back into the past, but I'm trying to think of like, potentially maybe sitting my son down and, and watching this when he's a little bit older. I do think it is something that holds up in terms of entertainment value. Like you're going to want to sit there and dig into this and, and go into the next episode to figure out what happens next if you weren't there watching it. So I think as a documentary, I'd, I'd have to give it an A minus. Um, and, and probably honestly, I should score it higher, but uh, like you, my expectations were through the roof, and some of those expectations weren't weren't met based on the title and how things um, played out, really. But but I, I'm with you. I mean, still uh, a must see for NBA fans. For sure. Um, I want to move on and um, real quickly. Um, any ideas for any future documentaries you want to see? Um, obviously, Thirty for Thirty's touched on. Um, a lot of them, but it doesn't have to be basketball. It can just be anything sports related. I know we're getting Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Lance Armstrong, a Bruce Lee documentary. All three of those are coming out later on. Um, but any, any documentaries from the sports world you would like to see that have not been touched on? Okay. So NBA.com and ESPN have both been blowing up. Obviously they're, they're looking for content to post every day. Sure. So they're they're blowing up with the obvious kind of follow up to this, which is what would LeBron's documentary look like? Um, and of course, it's a little premature for that. I mean, yeah, I and he has one too. You, true. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, and I mean, LeBron's story isn't isn't finished being written, obviously. So so we've got a little bit of time for that. Um, what I want, and and I don't really have a working title for this. I don't have funding to do this project or anything like that. Uh, I want, I, so in my opinion, one of the negatives about having such a shining star like Michael Jordan 
And having that star, like you, you talked about the element of fear that Michael Jordan brought out because he's going to have the ball at the end of the game. You're going to have to deal with that. Um, so we saw in the 2000s, a lot of people that unfairly so, th- this is a theme that you and I have talked about a lot, but a lot of people coming into the NBA from high school or early on in college, getting this tag as this is the next Michael Jordan. So I want a documentary that has every single player that was called the next Michael Jordan and just kind of go through, maybe maybe spend, depending on the that per, player's career and maybe interesting tidbits about them. I mean, I'm not talking about like digging into their family background or anything like that, but I want anyone that had that tag as the next MJ or the next greatest, I want to see what their career stats were. Give me some of their career highlights, their best highlights. Did they have a full like 10 plus year career? Did they spend like five years in the league and then tragically flame out? Um, You know, and and I don't want this to be like mean spirited to anybody or anything like that. But I think it would be fascinating to, to have something called like, the hunt for the next MJ or, or something like that. You know, I'm just spitballing here and look at all these guys that were tagged like that. And you could even start during the Jordan era, like guys sure. like Harold minor, I'm thinking of who was, who was yeah. called baby Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just go through and see just kind of one of these other reverberations, maybe one of the more negative sides of this idol worship that, that we have of Michael Jordan. So that's my idea for a documentary. Um, what do you got? Um, just real quickly, I think, I, again, this is the pro wrestling side of me. So if people that hate pro wrestling, just plug your ears for a second. But uh, <laughs> I'd love to see Jesse Vince McMahon documentary, Unbiased, because I think you can do a 10-part miniseries on that, and I think it would be absolutely compelling. The shocking mm. thing positively negatively i think will be great that's for another time but i think that's what i would look forward to it would never happen um but that that would be a dream documentary on my list um, do you think wanna, how how much honest vince mcmahon do you think we could get in a documentary um have you seen him be really candid i know he's got like he the was, businessman persona he was real candid with the recent documentary with the undertaker that came out that's on the wwe network Mm. We saw some honesty from him, but in terms of himself, he wants to control a narrative so bad, and a documentary would be out of his control, um, and it would only appear on a WWE network. I think it would be interesting, because at least you would hear something, but at the same time, compared to Jordan, where he's not like a actor, or you're trying to put on a performance, um, as for his personality, McMahon would, and he would. he's very tactful in terms of how he likes himself to be portrayed. Like, he doesn't want to show any kind of weakness towards himself, maybe towards others that he feels, like, certain affinity for, but himself, no. Um, so I think it would just be very tough. But, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other warm hole to go down to. Um, but definitely, that would be some compelling content. Um, before we wrap things up, I did want to touch on the NBA trying to explore plans to resume the NBA season um, in light of the coronavirus. Um, we've seen reports from ESPN writers Ramona Shelburne and um, Woj, um, both, I guess, Woj continuing to drop Woj bombs, even though we're in this pandemic, <laughs> um, 
starting to resume the season. So I just want to read some of this, and then I can get your thoughts on it, Matt. So first from Ramona, um, she says, quote, the NBA has entered into exploratory conversations with the Walt Disney Company about resuming its season at Disney's ESPN's Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. A NBA spokesperson said on Saturday, and this is um, in late July that they're planning on doing this. Um, and um, then it goes on to say the NBA, in conjunction with the NBA Players Association, is engaged in exploratory conversations with the Walt Disney Company. Um, we're starting the season in late July, paraphrasing here. Um, the biggest priority is, of course, you know, practices, housing, games, basically a campus. Um, and then they're focusing on the health and safety um, and working with government officials. And then Woj says that the game plan is, is to have um, an initial two-week recall of players um, into team marketplaces for a period of a quarantine, one to two weeks of individual workouts at team facilities, and a uh, one to two, and excuse me, a two to three week um, formal training camp. Um, and then um, they want to green light play in June where the season would re resume in July. Um, there's been all sorts of speculation I've heard just involving all teams, in including teams that have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. It, they would be involved in this. Um, what is your overall feeling? Do you feel positively? Do you feel negatively? We kind of talked about Bill Simmons being, you know, going through all sorts of emotions. Um, are you feeling a similar way or do you feel like do you have a kind of a streamline of how you're feeling about getting the NBA season back on track? I think late July seems really realistic for me. And I, I'm pretty positive about this overall. A lot of that is based on national news, where that's going, and just overall. Uh, and that, that certainly, please don't take this as I'm minimizing the coronavirus or anything like that. You know, of course, uh, I know it's affected a lot of people, and I'm certainly not trying to minimize that. But having said that, a lot of states are reopening, and it, it doesn't seem like there is, I mean, certainly when you reopen, the number of cases are going to go back up just because you are you have reopened and you have more chance of exposure, obviously. What hasn't gone up is the rate of exposure, uh, to my knowledge, from what I've seen from states that have gone up. And again, I'm not an expert in this. I'm just a guy giving my opinion on a sports podcast. I do think um, if they can, I, I think one thing that would be big would be, it, seem, it seems like the worst way to contract coronavirus is to be in a room with someone breathing very hard or doing things like singing. Like, like I've heard one of the ways you could almost assuredly get coronavirus is being in a chorus practice, for example. So like sitting down, singing with people around you. So I think if they can do this, they should look to see if, if they can host these games in an outdoor court, maybe, some something with a lot of ventilation. Maybe you have a covered dome so that, you know, wind doesn't become a factor or things like that. The elements don't interfere with the game. But maybe you have like a covered practice dome that has a ton of ventilation. I, th I think it's very doable. I think we're seeing, you know, the quote unquote working man in America is is starting to get back to work. So I don't think there's any reason the NBA couldn't follow suit, especially since we were talking about overall one of the healthiest populations that's there you know putting them at lower risk for coronavirus um but also besides any of these physiological factors 
the players seem very on board with this. The players union I mean, overwhelmingly wants to get back, wants to play, wants to finish the season. I think some of that is that LeBron has a, <laughs> a top contending team and he sees, you know, his chance of, of a year, one of the, maybe the last few years he has in title contention, you know, that time is kind of winding down. One of his buddies, the president of the players union, Chris Paul is very on board, has been adamant that, we want to get back to play. So I think you have all the momentum going for it. I think you just need to secure that place and work out those details, obviously, of um, I, I don't even think, you know, the site is a huge issue. It sounds like things are working for Florida site. Um, I think the issue is what are the ins and outs like if and when a player gets infected during the playoffs what is that protocol going to be? You know, are we then delaying games in the middle of a playoff series? Are we shutting things down altogether, disqualifying teams? You know, that's something that gets a little bit hairy that, that we have to work out what the protocol is for that. But we have smart people working for the NBA front office. And I, I'm just super confident that they're going to figure that out. Um, I'm sorry, I rattled off a whole bunch of stuff there. Justin, I, I want your thoughts on this too. Uh, not much to add. I agree with you. I think the safety protocols are an issue because compared to individual um, sports, such as you know, we, in entertainment, we, we've seen with the WWE and um, other AEW, another wrestling promotion, um, They've ran and they have not stopped. Here you're dealing with a team sport. So issue is, is that, you know, you have to get the five on five, you know, players on the court. You have the, your bench coaches, refs, media, um, and all those protocols need to be in place. Um, I, I liked how the UFC went about it. They were aggressive on finding solutions. And I think with the NBA, I think there's been a little bit too much of fear. I think either if you're going to make it happen, make it happen. Like, come up with solutions and focus on that. And if you're not, just cancel the season because this wishy-washiness is, is, is really a waste of time. So I'm if to me, I hope this is for real and I hope mm -hmm. they're, they're not turning back. And there needs to be those safety protocols in place if somebody gets infected. Um, and just making sure that, you know, there's not a panic that if somebody gets infected that you take the protocols in place. And if a team needs to be disqualified because, you know, the entire team has coronavirus, then so be it. Uh, and that's, that's just unfortunate. I think the thing is with this season, it's going to have the asterisks anyway, no matter what you do. If nothing goes wrong, if the coronavirus goes away tomorrow, the bottom line is that people are going to still, whoever wins the title, it's going to be um, a negative black cloud over it. So it doesn't matter what you do. So why not lean on this on the, besides saving lives, which should be number one, lean on the side of caution and just make sure that you're keeping everybody safe because no matter what happens, we should just be grateful we have an NBA back. Um, it's not going to be the best basketball, but at the same time, we're going to have something, and we're going to hopefully have a champion at the end. And we should just move on and focusing on the 2021 season and getting fans back into the stands. That should be the primary focus. This season's a wash. What can you do? Um, this is, I think, more, one, just to finish the season. Two, it's, it's about money. Let's keep it real. Um, yeah. So I think... Let's just finish the season out, keep everybody safe, and move on to the 2021 season. Um, I just think having this kind of should we, should we not, um, I think it's doing a lot more harm than good. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's something that 
the NBA under Adam Silver is a lot different, I think, is that Adam is the type of commissioner, and, and this comes with pros and cons, but he's the type of commissioner that wants to listen to everyone sitting at the table. And so when you have major decisions to be made, he's not like I, I think David Stern being the commissioner, you know, rest his soul. Uh, if he were the commissioner today, you know, it would be very much like, OK, you'll report to practice back in on June 20th or, you know, whatever the date is. He, he would just come out and say, like, the the owners have met, the players have met, players are positive about playing here's the date let's go and and yeah. i think in in some ways you could argue maybe that's a more positive style of leadership during something like like this situation where there are going to be a lot of valid opinions floating around that adam silver's dealing with right now um i agree with you i mean of course we we don't want anyone uh putting their lives at risk i i think yeah. It would be a huge benefit to society to have some regularity back, and the NBA playoffs would be certainly a a small part of that. But you know, in in the grand scheme of things, it, it would be totally fine, and it would not wreck everyone's morale to just call this season quits and wait for 2021, like you like you were saying. Um, I so I think you know, with with the news that a vaccine could be pushed as early as October now, some reports are saying, and, and we'll see if that pans out. Um, I do feel positive that we are going to be able to finish out this season. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm saying <laughs> people are, are like forced to come back or certainly like that because basketball is a small thing um, when you're talking about the, the full effects of a pandemic. Um, but to give my opinion on whether it's coming back or not, I do think they will be back to finish out this year. Sure. Um, I feel you. I, I think that's going to end our show, man. Um, stay tuned for an interview with our good buddy, Jorge Hernandez. He is a writer for Southwest Fight News covering mixed martial arts and boxing, but also he is a massive NBA fan and has a ton of opinions on ESPN's The Last Dance. Um, again, you can always catch us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher. Um, we're on Anchor. I mean, basically, if you have a podcasting app, you'll be able to find us on there. We're on Google Podcasts. So please check us out. And check out our library, too. We recap the entire series, and we feature interviews from J.J. Buck from 610 D Sports Animal, Van Tate, who is the sports director for Channel 13, and, and now Jorge Hernandez, um, his analysis as well, who is a writer for Southwest Fight News, um, again, co covering combat sports in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, anything else you want to add, Matt? No, man. Pleasure talking to you as always. Have a great Memorial Day weekend and everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and start of your next week. Now we have the pleasure to welcome on to the podcast, Jorge Hernandez. Um, you might remember him years ago. Uh, we brought him on discussing some more sad news. That was um, Steve Alford, the uh, former coach of the New Mexico Lobos, leaving for greener pastures for UCLA. But we have him back on um, discussing The Last Dance. Um, he is a reporter for Southwest Fight News covering mixed martial arts and boxing. Uh, welcome back, Jorge. A pleasure to have me. It's been a while, guys, but good to hear from each of you. 
Yeah, man. Good to have you back and um, talking about more positive news. Um, so let's not waste any time and d- discuss the last dance. Um, I've seen your tweets on Twitter um, talking about this podcast. Um, excuse me, this not this podcast, but this overall um, show, uh, this documentary on ESPN. What are your overall thoughts? What feelings did it bring into you? And do you think this documentary delivered what you were expecting? I, I think it did. I think it showed us, you know, a few sides of Jordans that we were, you know, that we thought were there. And I was surprised that they dug in deep into some of the stuff as much as they did. For instance, the gambling stuff. I am shocked that he even let them touch it. Uh, mm. And then for him to talk in detail about all of that tied to his father's death. Uh, obviously, you've heard stories of him being a jerk and just being very controlling or just, you know, kind of a bully in the background and whether it be in practices. But I think the gambling perspective and all the rumors about him being suspended for those 18 months, supposedly, I, I do suspension in air quotes. But, yeah, I think that's what stood out to me the most. Jorge, do you um, think overall what you were expecting out of this documentary, it was called The Last Dance, right, in terms of that final season? Um, did it deliver all the behind-the-scenes footage from that final season? Because this documentary also included footage from Jordan's past, the, the rise of the Chicago Bulls dynasty. Um, did you get what you were expected, or were you wishing a little bit more for an actual final season? No, I think I left um, watching the entire 10-part series with my thirst quenched, if you if you will. I, I mean, I, I think it, it was all about you know the, the final year and the final dance, but people needed perspective, especially the younger audience or heck, even audiences our age or older that forgot about a lot of it that, that led to it. Forgetting about Scotty's injuries, forgetting about um, Jordan's injury in his second year. You, you, you needed a lot of that perspective um, and history, even with the Jerry's, if you will, both the GM and the owner that led to that last and final season. And I think the way they, they told the story was just incredible. I think the, 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 the timeline moving back and forth and then trying to meet them up was just incredible. I mean, I've never really seen that out of a documentary before, but I think for the purposes of what they were trying to tell and the story they were trying to, to, to convey here, I, I thought they did an excellent job of doing that. So I, I, did, I think they did it in a very tasteful manner. And I honestly didn't, I, I know there were others that felt that they came away with a lot of unknowns or, or the what. Uh, I mean, locally, obviously, not seeing Luke Longley in there at all, was, it was kind of interesting. But, I mean, it goes to show, one, either the relationship him and Jordan had or, or did not have, and also the fact that maybe the production didn't want to pay to send anybody to Australia. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Jorge, that uh, leads up into a question I wanted to make sure to ask you, which is, you know, we did have a lot of players a lot of teammates of Jordan's and a lot of rivals, obviously on the documentary, what were maybe the top two or three, just off the top of your head, players, either teammates or rivals that you, you felt you kind of wanted in this documentary that maybe got left out. I think Carl Malone. I think Carl Malone is a big Mm. one. Uh, I was, uh, I think Isaiah Thomas has matured a lot over the last few years. So I, I, I wasn't surprised to see him on there. Although I, I did not expect him to be on there, but I, I, obviously for those of you guys that have been keeping track of him and uh, Magic Johnson actually, you know, t- making up over the past couple of years, I, I think I think the Carl Malone part, and I would have loved to hear back from uh, from Carl just because of the fact that he was an MVP, and obviously 
uh, Charles Barkley, who was also an MVP during that string of championships, was obviously on there. Uh, but the uh, but the absence of Carl Malone, uh, I, I think, was telling, and maybe that shows more about a little bit more about Carl and just being that reclusive kind of character. But I mean, as far as dominating over those or that that amount of years, I mean, you think of guys like Hakeem, Carl, um, you know, obviously. Sean Kemp only had a little bit of of time. I think Gary Payton obviously had a little bit more of a prime, but I, I, I'm glad GP was on there. Uh, but I, I would have loved to hear from Carl, especially because those two years, people forget, there were a couple of games that were blowouts, but some of those games could have easily gone to the Jazz, and Jazz could have been crowned the champion. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, and to ask you kind of the same question uh, on the flip side, or I mean, we had – like lots of B.J. Armstrong on the Hornets and on the Bulls, talking about those years. We had a lot of Bill Wennington. We had, in my opinion, a surprising amount of Tony Kukoc, uh, who I wasn't really expecting to be as involved as he was. Is there another teammate of Jordan's you would have liked to hear more from? I don't think so, man. I, I think if we look back, and one that might surprise you guys is if I go even further back into time, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we heard from Craig Hodges. I mean, Craig Hodges was a top, top you know, three-point shooter and just accuracy. I think he won the three-point contest three years in a row. And if you guys haven't looked into this, definitely check it out. I mean, he was so in touch with his African-American and African roots that I would have loved to hear his perspective on Michael Jordan, not uh, obviously supporting more, uh, being more political or outspoken. I, I, I mean, I think, I think that's totally off, uh, just a kind of like an off the wall kind of a uh, teammate. But I think Craig Hodges, just because of the, of what, you know, how, what he holds true to his beliefs and how I can definitely, you know, uh, assume that he didn't feel Jordan lived up to any of that. And, you know, a lot of the time they, they showed that, uh, senator race um, and they made reference to it there in, in North Carolina and Jordan not coming out to endorse the uh, African-American Democrat that ran uh, up against a very racist Republican. Uh, I don't know that Greg Craig Hodges element, I think would have added a little bit more to that, but I, that was another uh, realm of the documentary that I was surprised that they touched his, his lack of getting in touch with being more outspoken because obviously you've seen that, with, with athletes like Muhammad Ali. Uh, you've seen that with athletes nowadays like Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. But Jordan, being very fiscal, fiscally um, driven as well, I mean, it was both winning, and but the money as well. I mean, he was making a boatload of that. And I can understand an athlete like, like that, especially in the 90s when people were still trying to find that identity. It was a decade that was just trying to find its identity altogether. Like when guys, when I think back on the nineties, I, I still can't define it. Like what the hell were the nineties, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, grunge, um, really rebellion. I think, um, just, and it's kind of more free just because now mm. social media and so much eyeballs placed upon you. I felt that you can exist. Like even Michael Jordan, he had a, a level of freedom that a lot of athletes don't have. I mean, we saw it, um, in the documentary where he felt like he was a prisoner in his own home. But at the same time, it's like, at least he had freedom in his own home. Like, it, you know, when he was away from basketball, he was away. He was able to relax. Now with social media, you're not able to escape. Like there, there's no escape. It's on your phone. It's everywhere. And you have no place to have peace in your personal life. And, and to your point with the Craig hostage, I want to ask you, Jorge, it seems like the criticism of Jordan was minimal to none. Um, just because of Jordan's involvement in this documentary. 
Do you think that's a negative in this documentary? Just because, you know, we see athletes now have such more of a political stance, um, especially with the whole Donald Sterling thing and how the players took a stand. I just, I don't know if we would have seen Michael take such a aggressive stand compared to LeBron James. So I guess my question I'm asking you is, in this documentary, do you think it kind of hurt it a little bit that we didn't hear more opposing forces that were negative towards Michael? I, I mean, I think a little bit, but like, I mean, like I said, I mean, they, they showed clips of the newscast and <laughs> it's funny, you know, nowadays, obviously you hear like the media, the fake news perspective and that media is the enemy. And I, I think that was the only real enemy in this documentary for Jordan. Obviously you heard Horace Grant say a couple of things, BJ Armstrong, who I felt was, I mean, pretty transparent in, 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 a, in a lot of it. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, you really didn't see a lot of people just straight up come out and just be anti-Jordan and it would make sense because I mean the the documentary I know is called The Last Dance but let's be real this was the Michael Jordan and and Cass documentary right correct Um, 100% (laughs) and and, and that's what we saw that or else we would have seen a little bit more of Scotty and guys and and the other thing I know I'm off topic off your question but one of the things that really rubbed me wrong is during you know I can't remember if it was the 97 or 98 playoff run Tony Kukoc dropped like 30 or 35 points in one of those games, guys. And that wasn't even highlighted in the, in the documentary, which really, really bothered me. Like, you know, they, they did mention some of the supporting cast and Paxson or obviously hitting some clutch shots, Steve Kerr hitting some clutch shots. But Jordan also did have a lot of help in some of those, those games where, sure you know, some of, the, some of the role players carried it. And even though it may not, not have been the 20, 30 points a game, I mean, how, how the hell do you not mention, obviously, you, they, were, they were critical of Kukoc because of the whole Olympic thing and how they, they, he was trying to impress the, they were trying to show the Jerry's, meaning Scotty and Jordan, that he wasn't that great, if you will. But when, when he showed signs of greatness, I, I know that buzzer beater where Scotty took a seat, uh, you know, was highlighted there. But I mean, I mean, Kukoc was definitely a bigger player. I don't even think they made a reference that he was sixth man of the year one year, did they? I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember yeah, that I either. I think you're spot on. Well, I think one of the things to your point, Jorge, is that when Carl Malone was at the, the foul line and it was um, game one of the NBA Scotty, that made him choke. Scotty, yeah, made him choke. Like, there was no mention of that line about the mailman doesn't deliver on, on Sundays. I, and um, one of the other podcasts brought that up and that, they said that. I was like, holy crap. They totally yeah. didn't mention that. That's such a big deal. So you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of omissions yeah, for sure. Well, one of the greatest lines in history. Uh, the, the other thing I would have liked, and I know it wasn't, I mean, there wasn't enough room for this, but, but for there be to some sort of speculation of how those two seasons in between would have gone. Like, could the Bulls have beaten the 94, 95, or the 95, 96 Rockets? I mean, that, that's one of the big things and big question marks. Could they have, in fact, made it eight in a row? Probably not. I mean, Jordan... Obviously, was going to retire. You know whether or not his father was 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 murdered. I mean, it was murdered that that uh, that off season. But I would have liked to see a little bit of that. Uh, I mean, Hakeem was one of the big names then. Uh, I mean, we didn't we didn't hear from him in this documentary. But I, I know it really doesn't involve him because his team was not necessarily in the finals or really competitive with the Bulls around that time. But uh, I would have liked the you know people teasing that a little bit. Uh, a little bit more, especially because Jordan did come back at the end of that 95-96 uh, season where the, the Rockets ultimately ended up winning, you know, and sweeping the Magic. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, if they would have gotten past the Magic, maybe they would have won. I mean, 
the Rockets handled the Magic in, in that series. So who knows what, how would have they done or performed if, if I know it was a short season for Jordan that, that year that he came back, but I would have liked to see a, a little bit of that, a, a little bit more of the what ifs, not, uh, or a little bit of it, I should say. Um, and I, I think we saw more of the matter of fact stuff that did take place. But yeah, uh, definitely wanted to make sure that I gave Kuko some love on here with you guys. <laughs> Matt, did she have another question? No, no. I've, I think, um, you know, you're spot on. I, there were lots of other performances, too, with, with some of those role players, like you mentioned. I mean, like I remember there being a huge game by Judd Bushler in one of the series. I can't uh, put my finger on it. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I, I think there were some things left out. I think that speculation about could they have even gotten by the magic that year where to add to your point, I mean, they didn't have, obviously Grant was on the magic and they didn't have Rodman at the time. So I think you're spot on. That would have been fascinating. Maybe even some more speculation as well about the, uh, the 99 lockout season. We heard, I I don't know if you followed the ESPN train that kind of followed around last dance, but Rodman and Pippen, Rodman had, of course, the outrageous claim that they would have gone 50-0 and in the lockout season. It would have been interesting to hear maybe some more of those players' takes on, on how that would have played out. But yeah, no, I, th- I think your analysis is spot on there. And a lot, a lot of what Justin and I have been saying is that, uh, that really the title MJ Bulls would have been like MJ's bulls would have been better for this documentary than the last dance, but (laughs) definitely there is that, that appeal of, of that footage. Um, like, I mean, the epic trash talking is an example on, on that last episode where Jordan, you know, says what he says to Larry bird. I I won't say it on here, but, uh, calls him some, uh, some unfriendly words. (laughs) Um, yeah. One, one, one more thing I wanted to add. I don't, they did not show, uh, you know, Jordan obviously was getting older on his way out. I would have loved it for them for, for, to hear from him about Allen Iverson crossing him up, you know, that mm. was toward the end of his career with the Bulls and just how he felt, whether or not he could still hang with the competition. I would have liked, you know, them to talk about that a little bit, but obviously one of the, when you think of Jordan career highlights, unfortunately, one of the anti highlights is Allen Iverson breaking his ankles in, in his rookie season. You're right. Yeah. It's, it was such an iconic moment and an iconic moment for streetball culture. Like, I think Allen Iverson is one of the most underrated, like, basketball players that the media, I don't think they understand his Agreed. fans. Um, because he's he's an icon. Like, he has that kind of Kobe-level devotion. And I think that moment you mentioned, Jorge, is exactly right. That that crossover is kind of like the tipping point. And we saw that with Kobe in, in the All-Star game. Um, I think Allen Iverson, that moment was equally as important to the game of basketball, even though obviously Kobe's the better player than Allen Iverson. But um, in terms of just such an iconic moment, I mean, that, that stands the test of time. And I think that's where the culture changed a little bit. I call it the... I call it the diplomat era. Everybody started dressing like Cameron and, and, and those guys up from, Har- and up from Har- Harlem, you know, the baggy clothes, I, even though yeah. Jordan was wearing some pretty baggy, you know, dress clothes, but you know what I mean? It was still dress sure. clothes though, but you know, the yeah. streetwear, if you will, era came as Jordan was going out. So the, the culture shift, I would have also liked to hear a little bit about, and I'll be honest, guys, I needed at least four or five more hours of Bill Welling, Wennington. <laughs> he was the one that had the footage. She had a camcorder, and we need to see that footage. 
um, that should be the sequel because I'm sure there's some stuff on there that uh, would be very interesting to see. No, yeah, maybe the maybe the Jordan's team isn't able to edit out quite as much either. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the truth for sure. Um, well, Jorge, thank you for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything that you're up to now? Oh, guys, it's, it's raising the kid. I'm trying to get into the MMA and boxing and um, getting, getting more into the New Mexico uh, MMA and boxing history. So if you guys so if you guys, you know, are interested in some of the nostalgia here and just New Mexico Fight News, follow me at SW Fight News or SW Fight on, uh, on Instagram. I mean, I'm loving revisiting just the history of just boxing and MMA in general, but more specifically here in the state of New Mexico. So definitely something I'm getting into uh, a little bit more. So if you guys want to check some of that out, you know, make sure you guys go to that platform. Or I'm always on Twitter. I mean, I'm talking smack about whether it be basketball. I mean... You know, as much as I love boxing and MMA, basketball is my favorite sport. The NBA, sure. uh, it took them, it took them a good ten years to win me back, but now they have. I mean, it, I honestly feel the level of competition that exists now, and the amount of players that are spread across all teams. It reminds me of the mid '90s, guys. I, I, I maybe I'm crazy for saying that, but I, I, I'm, I have a, I have a sense of nostalgia again that I haven't had for almost a decade, and I'm really, really enjoying all these young players. Yeah, I feel you. I know you got to go, but I echo your sentiments exactly, Jorge. Because, and I, I will even go further. I, I enjoy this era of basketball better than the 90s, in my opinion, just in terms of, you know, players on every single team that provides interest. That I feel like, you know, the majority of the league, you feel like your team has a little bit of a shot to do something as opposed to, I think, earlier um, eras of the game where it was only an elite amount of teams that were, you know, contending for titles. I feel like now um, every, I feel like at least bare minimum, there's interest. And at the maximum, you, you feel like your team has a shot to win it all. So I think this is certainly a, a great um, time to re- be following the NBA for sure. Oh, it's, I absolutely love you. The parody is back. And yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that uh, no, the season's going to be cut short, but I can't wait for it to come back just because I'm really interested in seeing if, uh, you know, the LeBron and his guys can do it this year. Yeah. For sure. Well, Jorge, I know it's it's a Sunday. We thank you very much for coming on the show with us. Um, safe uh, travels. Uh, stay safe. And again, thanks for coming on. You're welcome anytime you want, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Nice banging on. And yeah, once this uh, season gets going again, I'd definitely like to be back on and, and then, you know, talk some smack here with you guys. But thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks, Jorge.